Hello and welcome to Speaking Spirit, where we talk about all things spiritual. Your host, John Moore, is a shamanic practitioner and spiritual teacher. And now, here's John. Hello, everybody. Um, I always have the urge to say good morning, and of course, I never realize, uh, or I don't, it's not that I don't think about. Um, I real I do realize that you could be at any time of day listening to this podcast, but I will wish you a good morning or good day, uh, no matter where you are in the world. Um, today, I have a, uh, I'm very excited about today's podcast guest. Um, I will I will introduce her to you in a second, and we're going to talk about um, shamanism and shamanism as a lifelong practice and what that means and what's required and all that sort of stuff and who knows where the conversation will go. So my guest this morning is Dory Cody. And Dory is a nationally known, I would probably say internationally known, shamanic practitioner and teacher who brings passion and creativity to her teaching and healing, creating a safe, sacred, and affirming place for students and clients. For over 25 years, Dory Cody has offered shamanic healings, ceremonies, um, and teachings for thousands of clients and students from diverse cultural and spiritual backgrounds. Um, She's a frequent workshop instructor at Kripalu and Omega, and with recent teachings at 1440 Multiversity. And in full disclosure, Dory happens to be my teacher. And um, which is one of the reasons I'm so excited to have her on. And she's probably one of the busiest human beings I know. So I, you know, we'll start by saying thank you, Dory, for offering me your time this morning. I know how busy your schedule can be. Well, it's my pleasure to be here with you and to offer what I can to your listening audience. And uh, I... As you know, because I've said it to you personally many times, I think you're an absolutely fabulous shamanic practitioner and teacher, and um, it's my honor to be here to uh, to have this chat. Well, gosh, thank you, thank you so much for that. Um, we're gonna. So, as I said, we're gonna talk. Well, we're gonna talk about shamanism today, and um, that's a thing, obviously, that we have in common, um, and talk about it really as as. A lifelong practice. So I guess from my perspective, you know, shamanism is my, is my path, is my, you know, spiritual path that found me. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to live this shamanic life as best I can. Um, but our, you know, our listeners, and, and by the way, last I checked, we have listeners from 30 different countries. So that's pretty exciting to me. So we're talking to people all over the world from, India and Nepal to, um, you know, Australia and Europe and, of course, the United States and Canada. Um, so people have different sort of ideas and shamanism's become a little bit of a buzzword. Um, but if I were to ask you, just to sort of make it clear for the listeners, um, when we use the word shamanism, what are, I realize this is a really broad topic, what are we talking about? Like, what's how would you define shamanism to somebody who had no idea or might have heard of it, but don't don't really understand what what shamanism is? Sure. Well, first of all, it's it's not a religion. It's a spiritual practice. It's available and accessible to anybody, regardless of their cultural or religious background, understandings, feelings, uh, history. Um, It is a path of direct revelation. In other words, there are no, there's no hierarchy within the practice of shamanism. There's no guru, there's no master there's no dogma there's actually pretty much not even any specific teachings that one must follow to be in the practice of shamanism there are you know there are definitely understandings and um 
some basic tenets, you know, like being uh, loving, compassionate, having reverence for all of life, understanding that um, because there is no hierarchy in our understanding of spiritual dimensions, then um, we honor all beings, regardless of whether it's an ant or an elephant or a bird, a human, a tree, a buttercup, all beings are equal in the eyes of the shamanic practitioner. So for someone to practice shamanism, I would say really the only requirement is for that person to step into with time, maybe not necessarily on the first day they take a shamanic journeying workshop, but with time to step into the reverence um, for the life of all beings. Yeah. And I think, I think you touched on something, um, something important that, that, you know, um, you know, about sort of the, it's sort of hard to put shamanism in a box. Right. And as you said, it's, it's not, there's not a specific dogma or there's, you know, there's not, there's not a Bible, there's not an organization, there's no No. priest or Pope or guru or what Mm -mm. have you. Um, But I think it's fair to say that shamanic, the, the shamanic worldview um, does embrace the idea of animism right yes. which is the idea that everything has everything has a spirit and yes. we and as you spoke to the 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 um you know we approach beings with reverence and without hierarchy we're you know equal to the trees and the grass and the rivers and the lakes and the birds and the chipmunks um the chipmunks who are eating peanuts off my porch this morning <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, it's probably fair to say that to follow a shamanic path, one would have to at least accept the the concept of animism um, from a belief standpoint. Do you think that, do you think that's fair? Yes, and it, it is fair and it's true. And yet, you know, when people first begin to learn the practice of shamanism and are curious, uh, they may not embrace that at the outset. But as any person steps into the practice of shamanism by learning how to what we call journey to the spirits of all beings, like the tree has a spirit, that ant I was talking about has a spirit. Once they embrace that understanding and become introduced to that concept of animism, of there being no separation between me as a human and um, this beautiful, huge pine tree that I'm looking at right outside my window here. We are one. Once people embrace that and understand that they, as practitioners, have the capacity to communicate and um, be in harmony in a spirit of reciprocity with the spirit of all beings, then they are truly standing in the shoes of someone who is practicing shamanism actively. And then, of course, there are degrees of practice. When one first learns how to do a shamanic journey and by the way, for the listeners, what that means is that the person who practices shamanism accesses other dimensions of reality beyond this space that we live in as embodied beings. And through the sound of repetitive rhythms, use you know, whether they're drums or rattles or you know, didgeridoos or bells or any other sounds, there's a particular rhythm that creates a cohesive connection between the heart of the practitioner and the heart of the earth that allows the practitioner, the person who's doing a journey, to sink 
into the capacity to allow their, not just their imagination, but a part of their soul self to to leave the dimension of the embodied to visit these other realms where spirits speak with them, bless them, play with them, and engage with them in a harmonious, sometimes teaching, sometimes healing kind of um, relationship. So when somebody first learns how to journey and they encounter this magnificent beauty, which is astonishing, like nine out of ten people who learn how to journey are in absolute awe after their first weekend class or even in a day at what they are able to experience. You and I, John, just recently witnessed that as you were teaching an an introductory workshop with some of your colleagues. And um, I forget how many students were there, but I think they were about 17 or 18 and you know from the first hour of the class to the end of the class several hours later all of them I believe had stepped into the shoes of oh my right (laughs) this is real yeah I'm not I'm not making this up there really is you know another dimension where I can access spirits, benevolent, loving, compassionate spirits who will engage with me and help me with my own personal problems, my own, you know, my own um, questions from everything to, you know, should I move to Denver or not? Um, You know, should I get that divorce? You know, all those kinds of questions and issues and wisdom that is available to all of us. And um, I know I've sort of gone off on a little side <laughs> okay. trap here, but, um, I, you know, as you know, I'm very passionate about the practice of shamanism and all that it has offered me personally in terms of my own uh, development as a human being and a compassionate person. And I've had the privilege of teaching many, you know, hundreds of students who I get to watch then teaching others. And, you know, that's, that's how the practice of shamanism spreads. It's not that um, you know, there's anybody out on the street passing right. out leaflets saying, "Yeah, come, you know, right? Co- come do a shamanic journey." It's because we, as practitioners, love this work so much and love the experiences of expansion and um, beauty and. Um, And the healing that we're able to convey to others, whether human, animal, plant, or elemental beings, that um, when I say this is a lifelong practice, what almost always happens with people is once they really fully immerse themselves into this practice, there's like no backing away. (laughs) Right. Right. It's like like this is it. This is my life path. This is it becomes not something you do, but it becomes who you are. Yes. Yeah. Um I have found that as well. Um and it it it's it's interesting that you t- you touched on something that that really jumped out at me like you were talking about exploring all of this beauty. And, you know, when I look out, um, we, we both live in the Northeast and it's, uh, you know, there is so much natural beauty around us, but the practice of shamanism has opened my eyes to beauty that's even beyond that, even beyond what's, yes. you know, the, the, 
what I can perceive with my 3D senses, that there's a whole other level there. And then there's a whole range, um, you know, I don't know if we know if they're infinite, but a whole range of worlds and spaces that are just as beautiful and just as full of spirits that we can explore through the, the, the experience of journeying. Um, and it's funny that, um, you know, I think it's really a really common thing that I've experienced. And and I know that you've experienced a lot as a teacher is, is in the beginning, um, there's always the question, am I just making this up? Like when I journey, am I just making this up? And I literally, I had a, um, I had a a student that I'm, that I'm working with one-on-one, uh, you know, just over just last week, um, that I taught how to sort of journey one-on-one. And of course that, that question came up, you know, in advance. Well, how do I know if I'm just making this up? And I said, well, you know, the only thing I can say is just keep journeying and there will come a moment where you realize, okay, I can't possibly be making this up. And I don't know what that's going to be. And her very first journey, she goes, all right, that was totally real. I totally wasn't making that up. Yes, right, right. Complete confirmation. Well, and and also what's true is that, you know, for for many uh, people who learn the practice of shamanism and journeying, they become interested in it not being just a self-serving practice, not one that just is, you know, enhancing their own understanding of worlds beyond the seen world. But they then develop, if they choose to, the capacity to do healing work for others or uh, doing exploratory journeys to help their friends and family and colleagues or whoever to, um, you know, to gather answers to some of their critical questions. And that for me is where I find most people discover that they cannot possibly be making it up because they come back from a journey to ask a question on behalf of even if it's somebody in this beginner workshop mm-hmm. or ask a question for, you know, a neighbor after they've gotten home from a workshop and they get information and visuals and auditory um, experiences that they cannot possibly have known right. because the person they've journeyed for, they might've just met five minutes ago. So, that for me is always like where I say the rubber hits the road. People yeah. get it. Oh my, I am not making this up. Yes, your imagination is in some ways engaged because you have to go to these other dimensions of reality and then come back. You have to have some memory of what happened, right? right. So some part of your conscious self is engaged, but it's, it's, it's not your conscious self that has these experiences. It's your own spirit meeting spirit. And that's where the guidance, the healing, the wisdom, the power comes from is these other outside of the, of the, the embodied experience that wisdom that resides all around us that is accessible by any of us. And I think um, you would probably agree that in traditional shamanic cultures, the role of the the shaman was, you know, as sort of a, um, a functionary, a, a spiritual functionary that was sort of the frequently the center of a community that people went to for healing to find out when to plant the corn, to find out, um, you know, where the, where the, you know, the livestock got off to that they can't find all of those, all of those things were sort of in the, in the more traditional role of the shaman and and what we call shamanic cultures. Yes, that's absolutely true. And that's, you know, where we as modern day practitioners derive our, um, you know, our path to some extent, you know, the understanding that the practice of shamanism 
although it can be, you know, the path to some extraordinary personal growth and understanding of self and the world, the initial understanding, you know, from where we tap into the roots of our ancestors is that the shaman was the psychologist, the doctor, the the spiritual leader, the healer, the leader of the tribe or community or village in which he or she was uh, found. And that isn't true in our modern day culture, of course, because we don't live in small communities or for the most part. I mean, certainly we still have, you know, here in America, we have Native American people who are still very much in tribal communities. Um, but in general, uh, Anglo-Saxon, uh, Christian, Judaic, Islamic people don't have uh, that kind of leader in their culture. So it's often by accident to some extent that a person finds a shamanic practitioner that they're led to, to access some healing power for themselves. But that's the, you know, what, what I'm trying to get to here is that the initial function of the shaman in antiquity was to be the healer, be the therapist, be the spiritual guide, be the one who made decisions about everything. Like you said, from where do we plant the corn to, understanding from being able to communicate with spirit when it was time to pack up and leave because the snow is coming Mm -hmm. and um, the lives of the people were dependent upon the shaman. And, you know, the, I always like to say when I'm teaching students, you know, the, the, the people didn't become the shaman in their culture because, you know, they put their hand up and said, yeah, I'll be the shaman. What the <laughs> right, heck? Right. Nice day. They had to go through amazing initiations. Well, sometimes it was through ancestry, like, you know, your grandfather was a shaman and you got trained under him, for instance, to, you know, to walk in his shoes when he uh, left his mortal body um but for the most part you know the shaman was was chosen by having to go through numerous initiations which would be in our modern day times brutal and yeah. uh and and the, the person who survived you know if there may be five people going through initiations the one who lived through it was the one who ended up being the shaman because he or she had demonstrated that they had phenomenal capacity uh with communicating and being one with spirit we don't do that, of course, because Which I'm nobody... happy about. <laughs> yes. I'm happy you didn't put me through that, Dory. <laughs> right. yes. Nobody in modern day culture would sign up for that. It, it sure. would make sense based on our current culture. However, what is true is that when when modern day persons begin to experience shamanism and throw themselves more intently in a committed way into the practice of shamanism, they too uh, experience, you know, more modern day kinds of initiations like, you know, what needs to happen in order for um, a person's ego to get out of the way, for them to understand that the healing and wisdom and power that they're conveying has nothing to do with them. It is not about, oh, I am really cool. I am really (laughs) powerful. Watch this. Um, It's completely about what we call becoming the hollow bone, being the pure conduit between spirit, the formlessness of spirit, and bringing that formless power, healing, wisdom, and what have you into form or into, um, you know, the embodied uh, middle world culture of humans, trees, plants, birds, and so forth. 
I think it's one of the things I love about shamanism is that it lets me off the hook a little bit. Yes. Right? Right. Because I'm not doing any of this. If I bring right. back information and it doesn't make sense, I'm still going to deliver it because um, it's my job to step out of the way and understand that my um, limited three-dimensional human understanding of things um, is just that, limited, three-dimensional, and human. And, yes. um, um, it uh, you know, it not only lets me off the hook a little bit, but when I'm doing, um, you know, when... I don't know how to, how to, this doesn't sound the right term when I'm doing work for somebody, when I'm practicing with a client, for example, um, it's helpful for me because it, because there's, because it takes some of the pressure off. I can, I hand things over to helping spirits. Right. Yes. In fact, you know, after 25 years of practice, I say to my clients, Always, you know, we have a conversation, they tell me something about what's going on, what's not working in their lives. You know, maybe they've just gone through a terrible divorce or they're suffering some kind of physical ailment that nobody in the medical world was able to diagnose or, you know, whatever they're, whatever's not working in their life. We talk about it. And, you know, I have some concepts in my mind because I've been doing this for a lot of years about what you know, what direction we might go in with the healing work. But at the same time, I I actually say out loud to the client, I actually have no idea. It's really not what I think. I I could be completely wrong here about where we're going to go with this work. And so before I even begin the journey, I have to surrender my thoughts, my beliefs, my understanding of what might be the core issue here that needs healing and allow my helping spirits to guide me to what needs to be done. And I have to say that, you know, at least 50% of the time, my ideas were not, weren't, weren't right. You know, they were like, <laughs> right. okay, Dory, that was a good thought, but you know <laughs> what? This is where we're going. Right. And it's not right. where you think. Yeah, yeah, and sometimes there's, uh, for me anyway, sometimes there's a time component, right, where, you know, somebody might, you know, a, a client might come to me and say, you know, I'm dealing with the trauma of a relationship or something along those lines, and I'll say, well, you know, that might mean today is the day for some soul retrieval, or you might not be ready for that yet. I'm, you know, right. Spirits are going to tell me what's to be done today. Exactly, exactly. What is in the client's highest good today? And perhaps, you know, a client has a situation in their lives like like you just mentioned, like a difficult, you know, ending of, a, of an intimate relationship. And they're initially what they what they have contacted you for is, you know, help me with this because I have a broken heart and I can't seem to get on with my life. But underneath the current trauma may be something that is far older. Sure. And, and we don't know that we just have to go with where our spirit helpers take us to Either, you know, if we're doing soul retrieval, bring back some essence of the person's soul that left when they were two years old or, you know, remove some energy that is stuck in them that goes back to a relationship they had as a teenager. The possibilities are endless. And that's, you know, I, I, uh, I like to say uh, often there is no way you could be bored practicing shamanism. <laughs> that's, because, that's for sure. Yeah. Because there is no repetition. There is every situation is unique. Every mm-hmm. journey is unique. Every uh, I'm learning with every, every day I am learning and deepening my practice. So there's no, um, there's no humdrum to it. You know, I grew up as a, as a Catholic and many, you know, many people who practice shamanism had come from deep, you know, Christian roots mm-hmm. or uh, Judaic roots or, um, you know, Islamic roots or um, any 
particular religious background. And, you know, there there's a certain humdrumness to most uh, organized religions, you know, like as a Catholic. Well, you know, when you prayed the rosary bead, you did it the same way every time. It was right. like right. nobody changed the prayers. It was like just, uh, you know, there, there was a good monotony to it, but yet, you know, was never – never a unique um in shamanism every journey is unique every experience is unique and and though you know we develop relationships and this is really important to say to the listening audience is that we're not you know as practitioners we're not just grabbing onto any spirit that's passing by to to um to gather wisdom and healing power from we develop long-term relationships with very specific what we call helping spirits or spirit partners and it's through that relationship that we are able to bring through the power and healing that a client needs whether that client is a dog or a you know a patch of land or you know, the spirit of a flock of birds. Um, So through those relationships, those deep, long, forged, trusting relationships, like I know when my helping spirit gives me a piece of information, even if I in my mind think, oh my God, how am I going (laughs) to say this to the client? I know that I have to because I know that they understand things that is that are not possibly that I'm not possibly capable of understanding about this person and what they need and what is happening. And every time without fail, when I dare as I must, because that's a commitment we make as practitioners say, well, this is what I saw. This is what happened. And this is the message I got it doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but I, I hope it settles well with you. And sometimes clients are like, oh, my, how uh-huh. did you, How? <laughs> you know, what? How could you have known that? How, you know, well, I didn't know. That's the truth. I didn't know. But the spirits right. who are around us always, always, they never go away. Yes. They're the ones who know. Yes, yes. It's one of the things that becomes really apparent very early on in anyone's um, shamanic tenure to realize that we are constantly surrounded by spirits. Yes. All the time. You know, there's more. I talk about, um, you know, when I talk about sort of the middle world and the middle world is the where we live, but there's a spiritual component to that as well. It's that the middle world is full of spirits and some of them have physical representation. Yes. But not all of them, and I don't think probably even the majority of them have physical right. representation. And that's just one world. Um, exactly. In which there are, are many, many worlds to, to explore. Right. That's um, a really good point, John. We're constantly, you know, I mean, we, uh, we develop sensitivity the more we practice shamanism to the presence of the unseen around us. You know, that there are... You know, like in this room that I'm sitting in here, uh, I don't know how many spirits are around me, but I know that there are a lot. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I can choose to tap into their spirit energy or not because I have sovereignty as an individual. And, uh, but if I choose to tap into it and really feel into, whoa. This room is really filled with beautiful light beings who are here to um, protect me and console me and guide me and entertain me and help me see things that I might not see if I'm just in my thinking mind sitting out front of a computer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's, um, yeah, having interactions with um you know, other cultures, you realize how, you know, some cultures, these spirits are in, in our, you know, if you live in a Western culture, and, and I know that there are people listening all over the world, but, you know, sort of the, if there is a single Western culture, um, 
you know, just in, in generally speaking, spirits aren't that present in daily life as they are in some other cultures. So, for example, yes. in Japan, where, you know, Shinto is, you know, Shinto and Buddhism kind of go hand in hand there. You know, you have a shrine inside your house that mm-hmm. enshrines, you know, spirits or is a seat of your ancestors or, you know, that sort of thing. And there are lots of cultures where spirits are more present in, in daily life um, right. than the culture that you and I grew up in a very, very similar space. We both grew up in Maine and um, it's, it's not as present. And yeah, you go to church once a week or however many times and you pray and that's your, that's sort of the limit of your interaction with spirit, unless you're sensitive and being bombarded with stuff you might not choose to be. Right. Yes, that's, that's absolutely true. And you know what, another thing that develops as people, move more deeply into the practice of shamanism is that they recognize that, that there are no boundaries to uh, being with spirit. You know, as, as you know, John, we often create altars, you know, small Mm -hmm. altars. Um, I have altars all over my healing space here, you know, an altar to, uh, the spirits of my teachers, an altar to the spirit of myself as a teacher, and honor, you know, honoring the spirits of the uh, birds and so forth. So <clears throat> it helps to remind us shamanism is a way of life. It is not just, uh, oh, I'm going to do a journey, so I'm practicing shamanism now. We're once we really engage ourselves and come to see that there is only oneness, there is no beginning, there is no end, we're not separate from all that is, there is no hierarchy, then we come to understand that this is a way of being. It is not like uh, having a time in our lives where we say, oh, it's Sunday morning, I'm going to church. It's a daily, moment-by-moment way of living. Yeah, so it, it you can't, I, I don't think you can, I mean, of course, thinking back to when I started um, practicing, you know, you're learning, you're going through, and it's sort of something you do, but then it changes you in a way that you can't, you can't sort of undo. And I liken it to, you know, you you blow up a balloon, you fill a balloon with air, which coincidentally the air, the word for air in a lot of cultures is the same as the word for spirit. Um, yes. And you deflate it, that balloon never quite goes back to the same shape. Exactly. And That's so- a great metaphor. I also want to say to the to the listeners that. Um, you know, practicing shamanism does not mean in any way that you have to leave your traditional um, spiritual or religious background in the in your rearview mirror. Many people, many, many, many people practice shamanism and go to church every Sunday or go to temple or uh, continue practicing their uh, Hindu or Islamic or you know, belief system, because it's part of their culture, it's part of their family, it's part of their ancestry. But it may change the way they view that practice, but it does not mean that they set that practice aside. Right, and I, and I think one thing, um, you know, one thing that I have sort of recognized in my own my own sort of nerdy research into shamanism and that sort of thing is that um, the shamanic figure and shamanic practice and what we would call shamanic people um, exist in some way in every culture that we can look at. And so when you look at like, uh, you know, and I'm not, I'm not necessarily an expert in world religion, but when you look at like Islam and you have the Sufi practices 
where they're doing meditations or they're doing movements that are altering mm-hmm. their consciousness so they can be right. lifted up to commune with angels. That's very in line with what we would be doing as shamanic practitioners. Um, when we look at um, even uh, even some early Christian practices, um, we, we see that, we definitely see that in you know, in, in ancient Greek and Roman cultures and Egyptian cultures and all of these cultures, um, shamanic practice went hand in hand. There wasn't a, you know, some of them did not have a separate role. Yes. The shaman, right. like we would consider a shamanic culture to be sort of tribal and have this role. Some of them didn't have that role, but the practice, the, the belief, the lifestyle existed cross-culturally. And, and really, if you look... If you look closely enough at any culture, you can find the practice everywhere, everywhere and at all times that we have records for. That's absolutely true, John. Absolutely. Um, The other thing that is, you know, is important to understand is that, you know, when when somebody seeks um, working with a shamanic practitioner, which, by the way, we don't call ourselves shamans in modern day practice because that's seen to be very egocentric. Um, Somebody can call me a shaman if they want to. They can say, oh, she's my shaman, but I don't call myself a shaman because that's that's taking on a little too much um, ego sense of self. Um, So anybody from any culture i have worked with you know 85 year old ladies who were like so uh catholic that it was completely ingrained in their sensibilities about everything in life i've worked with people who are practicing you know who are sufi practitioners i've you know it does not matter because in the end we're all praying to the same God, right? There is no, there's no separation. And so in the practice of shamanism, we're sort of going underneath the dogma, underneath Mm -hmm. the rules, underneath all of that and accessing the ultimate grains of truth that we are all one, that we are all spirit, and that we all, when we leave our mortal bodies, when our soul or spirit leaves us, we become part of the fabric of, of life. And we're not separate in any kind of way. It's not that Catholics go one place and Sufis go another when their souls leave this dimension of reality. We're all one. And... Coming from that place, um, it makes it possible to speak the same language to anybody, anybody who has any kind of cultural or spiritual or religious belief, because we're going to the bottom. We're going to the foundation of it all, which is not... um, wound around dogma or leadership or, um, you know, as I said at the very beginning, shamanism is a practice of direct revelation. There is nobody mm-hmm. who is going to interpret what is happening. Nobody who's going to say, oh, oh, no, 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 that that breaks that rule. There are no rules. There are customs, but no rules. It's, uh, it's a really interesting point. And, uh, you know, we've said, um, a few times that shamanism really has no dogma and there are no rules and there aren't leaders interpreting um, revelations for us. And yet um, integrity is really important in the practice of shamanism. And yes. I, I think there might be sort of, I have run into the concept I'll say with a number of people that, well, gosh, if there's nobody there to tell me what the rules are, I'm just going to, you know, people are just going to live life lawlessly and go around and, you know, kill people and steal their things and, and destroy the planet and, and do all of the, all of this stuff. 
Um, but what I think, what I think happens when you practice shamanism, at least from my perspective, is you start to recognize why living with integrity is important, and you don't need somebody necessarily to tell you exactly. why or how or what that means. Yeah, that that's absolutely true because the spirits teach you. Right. There's there's no human, you know, between you and the spirits who are telling you, oh oh oh, oh. you know, really? Do you want to chop that tree down? You know, how about if you go out and you know talk to the tree and see how the tree feels about being chopped down? And you know, is there some other way that that tree can? Um, can, you know, offer you something, you know, even though it looks like it's maybe going to fall on your house. Is there, is there some way that you can come to uh, an agreement with the tree about how to proceed? So, you know, that's where the integrity comes in. You come to recognize that you're not, you're not alone ever, you know, there, and, and you're living on this planet in a body accompanied by billions of organisms and plants and the elements and all of these beings play a role in how you are able to live as a human at this time and so if you don't if you don't proceed with integrity the spirits who you're working with will let you know and perhaps will stop working with you. You know, this practice is not something to be taken lightly. Like, you know, some people first learn and say, oh, well, now that I have this skill, maybe I can journey and find out what the Megabox numbers is going to be <laughs> next week, right? Right. <laughs> well, and oh no, that is not going to work. Your your helping spirits are just going to laugh at you, or they'll give you a number, but it won't be the right number. <laughs> and, right. right, you know, and it, it will be their way of saying, "Yeah, go ahead, spend your money on these numbers," but we're not. You know, that's not our purpose. We're not. We're not here for your entertainment or for you know the the gathering of more money or power or fame. We're here to advance your soul's understanding of the grandness of life. Yeah. And I, I, I liken that to, um, you know, a lot of people believe that they have incarnated into this body for a reason. There are lessons they have to learn. There are things we have to accomplish contracts we have to fulfill and um, there aren't really shortcuts to that. Mm-mm. And, you know, winning, winning the lottery is, <laughs> if, if the spirits were so inclined, I, I think, I, you know, I can't interpret things for them, but just from my, my brain, um, would be seen like a shortcut. Like, no, you're not. Yes. You're on this path to learn these lessons, and part of that is not winning $100 million in the lottery to enrich yourself with, with spirit in that way. Exactly. Right. Yeah. That's, that's not the, that's not ever the purpose of your relationship with spirit helpers. It's the purpose is to gather spiritual knowledge, wisdom, power, healing on behalf of others, not just humans, but all beings. And, uh, to live in integrity, as you as you said, when a when a shaman or shamanic practitioner stops living from a place of integrity, then they they lose their power. It's the spirits will not support them. Um, I call it a shaman gone bad. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. like uh oh, <laughs> uh oh, that is not the intention of doing this work and when you veer from the path of love and compassion and integrity then the spirit world is not going to support 
your ongoing ability to gather guidance or healing or wisdom from them. They're just going to shut you down, and, and that's the end. But that doesn't happen to most people. Most people get it, you know, because the love and compassion and wisdom that they're able to tap into is life-altering. It alters the person's heart, the way they understand the complexity of our relationships with all beings that that we really are not separate, you know, in in our in our culture we've developed this belief system that humans are like at the top of the of the evolutionary chain. Well, that's just a bunch of bunk. Right. You know, there's no truth to that. We are just one with the tiniest of creatures and the the um you know, we think we're the only ones who have consciousness and the ability to uh, make decisions. <laughs> you know, when, when you move into the practice of shamanism and you pay attention, you come to understand that all of life has some consciousness. Mm-hmm. All of life. You know, what, what do people think is driving ants to you know, come out of the earth at a particular time and work together as a team. That, you know, is, yes, the scientists might say, well, there's a scientific design to that. Well, yes, and um, how did that happen? <laughs> you know, what are the initial roots of that capacity for the ants to work as a team and know what to eat and what not to eat and when to go in when the raindrops come? And, you know, I was just reading an article about a plant. Um, oh, I can't. I'm, I'm not gathering it now, but there's, there's a particular plant that knows exactly when to reach for something, when it expands its leaves to reach for a particular um, something. And and scientists are now studying, you know, well, what drives that plant to know, right? Right. Well, it, it's, it's not um, – it's not that the plant has a brain, but it has a consciousness. It has an understanding of what it needs to survive and what it needs to expand and what it needs to be a part of the fabric of life, which is really ultimately all that we are. I think one of the most beautiful pieces of uh, research I've become aware of recently is about the mycelial network of fungus that lives underground that trees actually use to communicate. So they live symbiotically and they exchange chemicals with the trees. And if Mm -hmm. a tree, you know, half a mile away um, is lacking sunlight or nutrients or some somewhere, it can be delivered through this mycelial network um, underground from another tree. Um, it's amazing. And we, you know, we don't necessarily think of that as consciousness because it is so alien to our human consciousness, but it is consciousness. It is. And consciousness is everywhere and, and in everything, I think, in my experience, um, we're swimming, we're swimming in consciousness. We are absolutely. So, um, so we are actually coming, can you believe that? We're coming to the end of the podcast. Wow. But I, I sort of, you. <laughs> oh, you're, you're, thank you. Um, so I, I did want just sort of one final question. So, you know, if somebody has been listening, if somebody has been listening to this podcast and they're like, gosh, that sounds really interesting. Um, how would I begin if I were, you know, living somewhere in the world and, like I'm really interested in in learning some shamanic practice and diving into the world. Where would I where would I start out? How would you find a place to start? Well, <clears throat> you know, ten ten years ago, I would have said, you know, find a local practitioner who you could go take a course with. And what's 
what's really wonderful about the advancement of technology and communication throughout the world is that now, regardless of where you are, if you have the capacity to uh, listen to a transmission either via audio or video, you can access, you know, beginner or introductory courses online, you know, via Zoom or via radio or via podcast. Or, um, so my suggestion is that regardless of where, you know, the listener is residing at this moment, that they do a search, you know, online to find, um, you know, practitioner or teacher. I mean, really a teacher you want to learn shamanism from somebody who knows how to teach not Mm -hmm. just somebody who has taken a course themselves and thinks they know how to teach um so you know you for instance john have a website and you offer um occasional classes and one-on-one teaching and there are many other people like you around the world Uh, I I don't want to direct the listener to any particular website or place, but, you know, if, if you're listening to this and you have the capacity to search through, you know, Google or any other engine, search for, you know, introductory courses in shamanism and, you know, do your research, make sure that the person who is teaching this course (coughs) has themselves some... (coughs) that the person who's offering this teaching has some background some you know has themselves studied and also um knows how to teach yeah yeah it's it's definitely a different thing practicing and teaching are are two very different two different skills yes um, Set. Although you do have to know how to practice to teach, um, practicing alone doesn't necessarily give you what you need. To That's teach, right, absolutely. Uh, as you know, John, I've you know been teaching a handful of students how to teach some of the advanced work that you know I will eventually back away from because of my aging. Um, even though I'm in excellent health, I. Um, you know, when one beca- when one gets into their mid seventies, they come to realize that there is uh, there is a time when one has to back away from certain activities. So, um, you know, John, for the listeners, John is one of the students who has been studying this advanced work with me and is going to be and is really qualified to teach. You know not just beginner work, but advanced work. So I, you know, I can endorse him as a fabulous teacher and somebody that you could trust with who has integrity and understands the work and is a, um, a loving, compassionate uh, guide and teacher. Well, thank so you. That I'm, would I'm, be a, I'm blushing over here. <laughs> <laughs> they can't see you. Right. That's, that's okay. why I have to say it. <laughs> So, yeah, so there, you know, in this in this time, there are so many avenues for people to be introduced. But I caution the listeners to do their homework, make sure that they um, that they find a teacher who's qualified, who has done their work and has has studied how to teach. And if people want more information about you, Dory, you have a a really excellent website, which is, um, amongst other things, um, a really great resource for finding yeah. out more information about um, shamanism and finding classes and teachers. And um, I really suggest, if you're interested in shamanism at all, um, signing up for Dory's email list, which you can find on her website, which is dorycody.com that's d-o-r-y-c-o-t-e.com and um definitely her her uh mailing list is is a great place to start as well um to get all kinds of to get all kinds of 
resources and learning and, and mailing lists are free. So that's, yes. you know, that's a great thing as well. Yeah. Thank you, John. Yeah. I, I love having people receiving my newsletter and other, you know, opportunities to do some things online that don't cost anything. Um, and I, you know, we're, we're, we are the world. We are the people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there is no separation. And so regardless of where someone is, you know, what's lovely is that they can, they can access things today. It, it is, it is amazing. Like that giant mycelial network. Um, yes, exactly. Um, you know, we're, we're imitating the trees at this point. Mm-hmm. So yes. with that, I want to, um, I want to say thank you very much for coming on. It's been it's been wonderful and taking time away from your very, very busy schedule. And um, I will actually talk to you in a couple days, but not on the podcast. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I look forward to it. All right. All right. <laughs> Thank you very much. And um, you'll hear from us next time. Excellent. Thank you. been listening to Speaking Spirit with your host, John Moore. For more info or to contact John, go to mainshaman.com. That's M-A-I-N-E-S-H-A-M-A-N.com.